Yeah, you are. Because <laughs> I like being on my knees. Yeah, you something do. I should have probably said before I hit record. <laughs> you are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode 145, side B. As in bad shark movies. So bad. This is the Gimme 5 Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast reviewing the things that you love today and the things you loved yesterday. My name is Captain One-Eyed Slappy Jack, and I am joined by Barnacles O'Shaughnessy. Arr, that be me. And our trusty cabin boy, Chum. Yeah. Also be me. <laughs> okay, this week we are it's a very special week. It is patron week. So we are giving control of the wheel. See there captain humor there. Ships captain no well, captain something anyway. Yeah. I don't know about humor. Yeah. Uh we're giving control of the wheel to our patron of unusual size, Mr. Alex Olamita, and welcome, Alec. Here's the swim with bow legged women. Ah, yeah. Nice. So let's drink to our legs. Because (laughs) of side A and someone whom will not be named, uh, we had watched on side A terrible, terrible shark movies. We needed to cleanse our palate and watch some good shark movies. Or a good shark movie, and that is Jaws. Uh, the shark movie. Yeah, the shark movie that started it all. I guess we could technically blame Jaws for the other three movies that we watched, but this is a side B episode. We are going to talk about Jaws, and of course, we will answer our Gibby Five question of the week. So, so like always, we're going to review some shit. So... If you haven't seen this movie that came out in 1979, 75, 75, that's what I said. 1975. <laughs> We're not good with numbers. <laughs> Math. Yeah. Can't do it. If you haven't seen this movie, yeah, tough shit. We're, we're going to talk about it. We're probably going to spoil some stuff. I'm waiting for that email now. You uh, ruined the fact that there was a giant shark in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> The little boy dies. Right? That movie wasn't taken taken uh, hostages so there. So does the dog. Yes, true. Monster. Pippin. Pippin. Pip something. I never Pippin. could figure it out. Yeah, Pippin. Yeah. So we are talking about Jaws. Let's get right into it. Jaws. As Rob so eloquently stated, eventually it came out June 20th, 1975. It did. It was directed by Steven Spielberg. Starring Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss, Lorraine Gary, and I'm sure a bunch of other people who I didn't write down. But the synopsis says, if I have to do this, when a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community, it is up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. I want some initial thoughts, and I think the first person, since you are the person that brought us to this movie, Alec, you've said this movie holds a special place in your heart. Why? I just think it's... 
best movie of all time uh, for me, at least. Uh, I watch it every Fourth of July, and any other time I can watch it on TV. It's it's the perfect movie. It's got adventure. It's got character. It's scary, and it's I don't know. There's really nothing quite like it. You got the, one of the best directors, the best, possibly the best score of all time. It's beautiful to look at. There's I can't really say anything negative about it. I think it's a perfect movie. <laughs> I would absolutely have to agree with that. And of course, the movie is scored by the incomparable John Williams of every movie fame. Um, every movie. Except that, for the movie fame, I think. I don't think he did a movie <laughs> fame. Um, of course, um, Star Wars, et cetera, et cetera. Man. Um, he is going to live forever. Hopefully. Oh my God, Rob! You just killed John Williams. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, he's why? not dead yet. No, no say that. <laughs> he's like 114. Um, I swear to God. <laughs> Holy shit! I feel so bad. <laughs> I swear to God. This movie. Don't nurses um, have to take an oath too? Of doing no harm. Yeah. Uh, this movie is the reason I I don't surf. Still, um, uh, my, my coordination is the reason I don't surf. No, I, I grew up. My my brother used to go surfing. My my cousins went surfing. My uncle always went surfing. But for me, it was always I was always told by my parents that there were uh, sharks didn't come be, uh, beyond the sandbar. And surfers always had to go out past the sandbar. So for me, that is still very much a thing. Uh, whether it's true or not. Um, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. It's just one of those things parents tell you to keep you from going out too far. I went to the beach on Monday and I was like, there's not that many people here. Um, let me just get closer to people so they get eaten first. So <laughs> I, I yeah. think the fact that they gave in the movie is actually fairly accurate, that most shark attacks occur in two feet of water and less than 10 feet from the shore. Yeah, it's it's mostly you know, no no joking here. I think it's mostly nurse sharks and lemon sharks because people step on them. Mm. That's that makes sense, eat. actually. Yeah, because people try and take their lemons. Ooh, <laughs> look at this ocean lemon. They're all <laughs> sour and, uh, about it. Lemon shark gets all mad. Uh, yeah, I I can tell you when the first time I saw this movie all the way through, but holy shit! And and watching it again after I don't know how many years, but holy shit, is it still good? Yeah. It is still it is good. still a quality movie, yeah. without question. So those those are my initial thoughts, I guess. So yeah, I'm I'm I haven't watched this in a very long time. I'm pretty sure at some point when I was working at Blockbuster, I I started grabbing classic movies, and this was probably one of them. So it's been about 20 years since I've seen it. But what's funny is my my brain was kind of auto completing certain parts, but mm -hmm. it was completing them more in the because you've seen things from this movie in a lot of different places. So like when the, the port where the kids are pretending to be a shark to scare all the people on the beach mm -hmm. and they're all run out of the beach. And my brain was like, Oh, wouldn't it be funny if it's just a bunch of kids playing a joke. And no. then, the, then the part happened. I'm like, I'm a genius. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I just kind of remembered it from when I was I've a kid. seen this movie before. <laughs> or, or because like at some point the Simpsons made fun of it or whatever. But for, yeah. for me, this movie, um, it's, like, like uh, Alex said, it's it's got everything. It's got horror. It's got different pacing than the movies of today. Mm -hmm. But it didn't, because of the different pacing, it didn't need the giant uh, 
bombastic, like a ship breaking in half. It just needed a very slow, realistic boat sinking. And it, the suspense built from there. Mm-hmm. Whereas you could imagine that that being filmed today. You know, the shark would be breaking through stuff and people would be flipping up in the air and uh, all that. The shark would be doing somersaults over the, the prow of the, the boat. The shark would be CG. Yeah. yeah, it would. I mean, the shark would be showing the first five minutes of the movie, too, probably. So True, true. Eating, uh, I don't know, some pseudo-celebrity. <laughs> like a... Who would, they, who would they put in the beginning of that movie? Drew Barrymore. I was, that's what I was going for, but... <laughs> there, yeah. Sean but William I mean, Scott. Anyway, uh, who, who did not give their initial thoughts? Alec did, I did, Jimmy did. Oh, Joel. I, I did not. Um, and like, like you, Greg, it's it's been a long time since I've actually seen this movie. And I, and honestly, I forgot how good the movie actually was. Now, that may be that may be a factor of the three pieces of shit that we watched before this movie, but <laughs> because compared to those, I mean the that movie crawl with the alligators that I hated was friggin' Citizen Kane. But um <laughs> it, it this movie just hits so many so many uh check boxes for me as far as as far as horror, as far as suspense, as far as action. I mean you've got you've got the crooked mayor who's not really all that crooked. He's just trying to save the town and you know, then he loses his shit when he realizes that he put all these people in danger. So he's he's kinda redeemable, but not you know, not terribly, but relevant. Then, and then you've Very got relevant. the um and then you've got the 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 hero who, you know, risks everything, gets out on there, and you've got you've got the guy, hey, spoiler alert, who doesn't make it, the the grizzard old veteran who doesn't Ends up not making it. Grizzard, the grizzard yeah. lizard, the grizzard, <laughs> grizzled old veteran who doesn't make it. But I mean, just just everything about this movie is just so well done. It, I, yeah. And I feel like it was a lot of it was well done by accident. But I think we'll we'll get there as we talk. Yeah the uh, the 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 making of this movie is is. Uh, crazy it's yeah it's phenomenal i mean it was a feat in 1975 and it's it's a feat to pull a movie off like that that still resonates so deeply uh you know today beautiful there's there's only a couple of movies that have had that kind of lasting power i think um probably a few were spielberg yeah Uh, well i mean star wars obviously jaws godfather I mean, so some of the iconics and just, yeah. I I will admit, though, I didn't realize that Peter Benchley actually was in the movie yeah. <laughs> until the end credits. I was like, holy shit, Peter Benchley was in this? Who is he? he was the, I know who he is, but. The newscaster who was doing the story on the beach. Oh, gotcha. So Peter Benchley, I'm glad you said that because we can talk about this. Uh, this was a book by Peter Benchley mm-hmm. uh, written in 1984. It was a huge hit. I believe it was one of those summer books that everyone was reading on the 1984. Sorry, that is not right. 1974, I guess. I was going to say, I don't <laughs> think that's accurate. <laughs> we wrote the book in <laughs> numbers. We, book we don't do them. Ten years after. Mm-hmm. No. So anyway, it's, uh, numbers. it was one of those books that, <laughs> that everyone was reading. Uh, a big summer hit. And then I guess a couple of producers, I saw this in uh in a book, actually, this the Jaws. The thing I'm basing everything on here is the the new Jaws release. Um, the blue, the 4K version has a little book with it that tells you the history. Mm. 
of the thing. And it's actually really, really good. And did I read the sorry. Did you read the book? Any of you ever read the book? Uh, read the book? No, I've not. Is it good? No, <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's oh, wow. entertaining. All right. I, 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 I read it when I was a kid. I got it at like a. My dad used to go to like thrift stores, and so we got a couple of books. And I read it, and the movie is significantly better. They take out a lot of really crappy subplots that would kind of sink the movie. I, in the movie, the uh, in the book, I mean, the uh, the mayor is actually on the take with the mafia. Oh, and, well. and then uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character uh, Hooper has an affair with Brody's wife. Wow! Man, yeah, that would have been hard to fit all that stuff in. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's more of a kind of a, it's very cheesy in the book, and somehow they turn it into a a much better story. Yeah, he had uh, eventually had written a bunch of other stuff that wasn't uh, like travel memoirs and things like that. They didn't do so well, and then he wrote this thing based on a newspaper article. About a uh, about a giant shark that they caught off of uh, Montauk Bay, off of Montauk, New York, and that's basically where that whole thing started. Uh, I think some of the stuff he did was later on was like Ocean Conservancy and things along those lines. Yeah, he apparently felt bad about how people responded to Jaws, the movie, when uh, obviously the people like uh, Jimmy and myself, because I anytime I go near an ocean, I think of Jaws. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, hey, you get in the back. water and you hear the theme song going <laughs> in your head. Hesitation. But when you, I when love you, the beach. When you ever imagine your feet just underwater, just dangling in what's under you, yes, it's very scary. And so I think mm-hmm. he felt bad that his book turned into a movie that created this fear of sharks that really wasn't, you know, accurate. But so he, he decided to save sharks instead, I guess. I don't usually think sharks. I'm always worried about like heroin needles. But most of the time I went to the beach, it was in Miami. Got so, yeah. <laughs> so, well, there you Rob, go. Rob's eyebrows just furrowed strongly. <laughs> what are you doing at the beach? Jesus. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Heroin. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, well, apparently. <laughs> That's where I get all my new needles. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, just, they're everywhere. It's like, it's like free. It's like a happy meal. Plus, if the shark bites me, he'll get all high on heroin. So, anyway, this book gets picked up that by doesn't these producers. Help you. You've still been bitten by a shark. <laughs> a, a high shark of that afterwards. You'd be like, ah, oh, shit, I need to fix this person. Jimmy, it's the Give Me Five podcast, not the Give Me Logic podcast. Stop bringing me your logic. Anyway, book picked up by the producers, and a young pr- director named Steven Spielberg happens upon it, and... He has just made what I believe just one movie and a bunch of TV shows at this point. And he uh, did a duel as well. The TV I did a tool. Yeah. And uh, it was like uh, Summerland Express or Summer. Summerland. Yeah, uh, sure. You are on. So you got this. I don't even, I didn't even need to take notes on this stuff. <laughs> uh, and he decides to take on this movie, which it ended up being a big deal. It was hard to do because they decided to shoot in the water and oh yeah to get like real texture and it was a mess um bruce like, didn't work half the time yeah so bruce you, rob mentioned bruce uh that <laughs> is the name of the mechanical shark i believe there's multiple mechanical sharks but that was the name of the mechanical shark that famously didn't work it was named bruce why <laughs> after his yes after his steven spielberg's attorney yep i think he still <laughs> is attorney too 
So, and the shark after the attorney, it, it, the attorney worked. He, um, the shark did not because they tested it, I guess, in regular water. And when they put it in salt water, it didn't do so well. Uh, some of the sets uh, and like they had platforms with sharks attached to them and stuff like that. They all sunk. A bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, yes. So I, I think initially, even as genius as Spielberg is, he was going to show the shark a lot more, but the fact that it didn't work very well made them obviously think of different ways to do it. And that's where you get a lot of the more intelligent type of scares that Mm -hmm. you don't actually see the shark, but you feel its presence. And God knows, you know, what kind of movie would have been had he had access to the shark the whole time, because part of what makes Jaws so great is for the first I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, you don't really see the shark. You just, you know, obviously know it's the round. Yeah. I I think that's such an important thing to touch on because I I think it served as a formula for so many directors and for so many movies um, that otherwise might not make it. Um, Mm -hmm. There are so many movies that rely on the, the uh, the presence of the monster, the feeling of the monster. Um, a sweetheart is one that we all watched recently, for example. Um, can you imagine what precedent that would have set if they showed this amazing shark in the first five seconds of the movie? Everybody would have expected that mm-hmm. and every movie going forward. So, you know, and that that not mistake or accident, but that thing that they were unable to do actually ended up being a, an amazing thing for you know, movies. And and just to expand on that, I mean, how how much different would that scene at the end have been with the with the big essentially battle between Jaws and the Orca at the end? If you'd already seen Jaws like five hundred times by the time you got to that, how how much more does it does it affect the movie when they just basically announce the shark's presence with those yellow barrels. You don't even see the shark. They yeah. just announce, they just show the yellow barrels and it's like, Oh, there he is. There he is. I mean, uh, a two hour movie, you know, I, I think an hour and a half into it, you're going to be desensitized if you've seen it so many times that you're right. just like, Oh, okay. Well, that that's okay. But, yeah. Now, now that being said, I will say I think they got some of the I think they got some of the scene wrong, some of the scenes wrong because I was noticing that in the in the scene where like Jaws pulls the dock apart, do you remember that scene? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. then he comes around and comes after the guy who's trying to swim back to the dock. They're focusing on where the dock is. Jaws would have been probably 20 feet in front of that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So the guy doesn't make it back to the dock, basically, is what I'm saying. Uh, I, I was wondering that, too. I was. I, yeah, OK, I see what you mean. Yeah, because because he's trailing the dock behind him and the same. And, the, and I think they're guilty of it, too, occasionally with the barrels, because they're using the barrels essentially to to define where the shark is when the barrels actually are probably about 20 feet behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, of the rope that mm-hmm. that would be trapped on the shark in the shark's mouth or wrapped around the right. shark. Yeah. Now you're turning into the gimme logic podcast. Uh, no, We're not here to, to rip this movie apart. There was, um, no, 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 no. I, I watched it on Amazon and you can watch it with that, like X-ray on where it's like, 
oh, during the filming this scene, blah, blah, blah. it's not exactly commentary, but, uh, you know, it, it pops up little, little it's like tidbit. MTV pop up bubbles. Yeah. It's really interesting. <laughs> but in the beginning where you have the, the female skinny dipper, um, it, it shows, uh, there's a shot from underneath for, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about this, but it, it shows the camera looking up underneath and you see her swimming and there's the moon or a, a distinct source of light right above mm-hmm. her. And it's like, that's not where the position of the moon would have been and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, what? no, don't do that. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, no. And there were some things that popped up and they were like, oh, during this scene, there was a mistake. And I'm like, no, there wasn't. You shut your ass up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not telling Rob to shut your ass up, but, you know, we're we're not here to, to tear this classic. Down. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, absolutely we, we not. loved it. So that when the shark broke, Spielberg being a big film nerd and a film school nerd, basically was like, well, well how would Alfred Hitchcock have solved this? And that's basically what he did. He kind of did some Hitchcockian filmmaking. <laughs> but. So that was one of the things I wanted to say. Go ahead. You were going to say something. I was just saying that's pretty ballsy when you think about it. He's on his, what, second feature film. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's, oh, what would Hitchcock do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How well did Duel do? I mean, Duel was a TV movie, so it did. It was it was successful for what it was. Mm-hmm. It's successful enough that I think they actually put it in the theater afterwards. And But Sugarland Express, uh, you know, I think, Got decent. I got decent reviews, but I don't think he did anything at the box office. Yeah. So he he was young and and hungry at that point. Yeah. So that that opening scene that Jimmy mentioned it um, with the the girl skinny dipping, and I, I'm kind of there's one bad thing about us re- recording side B before we re- record side A, which the the other guy, you guys are going to understand in a second. But the woman that played that. Uh, that uh, skinny dipper. Yeah. yeah. So she, uh, trying to find my notes here. Yeah, what's her name, right? In the movie, yeah. yeah. Christy Watkins. Oh, never mind. I heard you differently. Oh, sorry. So hold on. I'm just getting to. Okay. Uh, so she, uh, her, the actress's name is uh, Susan Backlinney. And when I was doing research on this for something else I did recently, uh, she is actually one of the mer- she used to be one of the mermaids from Wikiwachi Springs in Florida. That's how she was because she could oh, actually no, do that, all of the stuff <laughs> that she needed to do because they basically tied a rope to her and dragged her all over the place. Because, again, not showing us the shark, but showing her getting attacked from below. And so they dragged her all over the place, which uh, it, which pretty much screwed up her back because they were yanking her pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> right when I was doing the research a couple months ago, it turned out that. She, she lives in the villages now oh. <laughs> in, in Florida and was just recently arrested for drunk driving. Oh, excellent. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I feel like I had a little bit to do with that because it was a few weeks before I did it that I that I found out that I was like, whatever she is now. So she's still alive. She's uh, you know, she was a, a swimmer basically for her job. And that's how she got this job. And th- like that image basically became even though it was just a little kind of teaser at the beginning of the movie, it really kind of became the poster. Um, it, it did become the poster. It yeah. The poster. And they spent a long time. I was looking at the graphic design history of the poster and it took them forever to figure it out because they're like more teeth, more teeth, more teeth. But the shark can only be seen if you're looking underneath it. And they were trying to figure out how to get the shark in there. 
underneath it when they realized that they could have the shark. If you guys haven't seen the poster, I don't know what you've been doing. Um, I think the poster's on Alex's shirt right now, isn't it? Uh, no, I don't. I actually have a T-shirt with that poster, but I'm not, yeah, the I'm shark sure. is coming straight up. Basically, I have. The, I actually just recently bought the poster because I I made a home office, so nice. just, just got to hang it up. But yeah, it's it's one of the. I think it's the best poster for a movie, personally. But I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so that's that's that. Uh, what else do we got here? Let's. Uh, guess I will. I wrote down some questions here, and if there's anything you guys want to add. Um, we did mention they had a, a large amount of trouble shooting on water. And, again, that led to good stuff. But um, I think some of the sets actually sunk, right? Some of the sets sunk. I mean, he almost lost control of the movie multiple times, where I think the higher-ups at Universal were possibly trying to replace him. And he just was lucky enough that the producers of the movie really believed in him and kept going to bat for him because they spent a lot of extra money. They took the movie. I, the date, the productions, you know, went from a certain amount of days to a, like almost triple the amount of days or something along those lines. I think lines. it was supposed to be like a 60 day shoot or a 57 day shoot or something. Yeah. It went a lot longer than that, like over a hundred days for sure. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, it definitely is. I, I, Spielberg, you know, I think still probably has nightmares about it as far as the, the experience, as much as it was great for his career, it was a horrible time mm-hmm. in, his, in his life work-wise. And then um, one of the things I think that also makes this movie, other than the, the crazy special effects and the fact that they shot on the water, just was the actors and characters they put together. And... Like, I guess we, we think of some of these, we think of Richard Dreyfus in high regard, but I guess he wasn't thought of too well back then. Uh, he was new. Yeah. He was, you know, he's pretty new. He was, had the, he had just started a movie. I, actually, he didn't want to do Jaws initially because I think he thought he was above it even then for some reason, but that definitely was his breakout. Mm-hmm. And then there's, because like there's a documentary, what is it called? The shark isn't working, the shark is working again, or the shark isn't working the, again. Or, the shark's still not working, something like that. Yeah, or the shark is broken again. I don't know. It's, it comes on the, the Blu-ray set. It's it's actually really good. But what's funny is it was filmed not too long ago. And Richard Dreyfuss oh. is talking about, but it was filmed just long enough ago where he's talking about, oh, it was a great set, man. Everyone was hooking up and you're having sex with this person. And the girls from the town would come in and we'd have sex with them and blah, blah. And it was really fun and we'd drink and have sex. And I'm like, oh, that's not going to age well in a couple of years. No. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> yeah. Because my, my real first experience with Richard Dreyfus and actually paying attention to who he was was like Mr. Holland's opus. <laughs> you had so sex like, with Richard, Richard Dreyfus? I did. I, he was on the uh, set of Jaws. All right. You were just a young girl from Amity, New York. Yeah, so it was, he was Opus. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was 1989 or something. Ew. He was feeling his roots. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He was big for, for a moment though, like the late seventies and pr- first half or so of the eighties. He was mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty big. And then, yeah. And like, I guess some of the actors didn't get along because there was um, one of them was a classic like British actor, right? That was yeah, uh, Robert Shaw. Yeah, and like they actually had it was like the old actor and the young actor, and they were kind of had like this weird uh, competition thing going. So I think the them drinking together on the boat well, wasn't wasn't Robert Shaw just drunk? He drank himself to death. 
Yes. Very, very soon thereafter. And he yes. was drunk like all the time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was a different, uh, I, I read about him recently and, and I, so apparently a lot of British actors who were trained in a certain manners, I guess that was part of the, their training, I suppose, not, not really training, but they, they tended to drink quite a bit. And mm. I think even his, his, his actually had his wife, um, overdosed a few years before he died on like barbiturates or something along those lines. Oof. And then uh, and he actually didn't drink. Well, he, he died of a heart attack, but mm. it was brought on by all the, all the drinking. I mean, he, the famous, uh, story is on the set of Jaws when they did the, the famous speech, the US, USS Indianapolis speech. Mm-hmm. He wanted to film it drunk. And so Spielberg let him film it drunk and he passed out, uh, in the middle of the, in the uh, middle of the, and so they had to wait until he, he got sobered up to actually film. Until he woke up and sobered up and he's like, yeah, no, that won't work. We need to do it correctly now. Well, yeah, apparently he nailed it the second time. Yes. Yeah. Like that's, that story's in the doc. Um, so like this, this rivalry actually kind of pushed things along because they actually were supposed to sort of have, or I guess dislike each other. To begin with, he was, you know, Dreyfus was like the pencil pushing nerdy college dude. And that verse, the, uh, the crazy, uh, the crusty old sailor guy. Love me a crusty old sailor or lighthouse keeper as the case may be. Um, And this movie scared the crap out of people when it came out. And I didn't want to go in the pool when I was a kid. Yeah. (laughs) I, I have a, uh, I, I, I know that after I saw this, I had a a thing with tunnels. Um, I was terrified of going through tunnels that went underwater because I thought they would collapse behind me and Jaws would come get me. So um, that was they a probably would have probably yeah. just me, just only <laughs> interested in me, nobody else. But <laughs> That's yeah. so weird. Yeah, I, was never, I mean, it is. It's weird. It's one of those irrational child fears that, mm-hmm. you know, this movie gave me. Uh, it's like it's I'm weird scared like, of Leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing. I was scared of the Leprechaun, too. I don't mean yeah, to make this whole I'm thing about me. <laughs> but I used to sleep in the wedge between my bed and the wall. Uh, so the Leprechaun wouldn't see me. Wow. Ooh. Yep. Wow. Yep. That explains some things. Sure mm-hmm. does. The, uh, the, this movie—it's weird because the shark didn't scare me too much. Terrifies per, so. per se. Although when I went to middle school, we all went to uh, sea camp for a while, and we're all we were scuba diving down near the—I think it's the—it's like there's like a Jesus statue somewhere down near the Keys, and we were scuba diving near or snorkeling near it. And everyone's like, oh, come here, come here. There's a shark. And it was like, I was fine. I was like, oh, that's neat. And then like the, the slight little thing of your head goes, oh, yeah, I have seen Jaws. Creeps into your ear and you're just yeah. like, oh, shit. When I went to the beach on Monday, I, I said, because uh, the last time we went, it was super overcast and the ocean was all kind of the same color. So it was really mm-hmm. dark and I didn't really think about it. But when we went on Monday, it was super bright. It was beautiful. I get into the water and I put my hand down. And I put my hand down another foot and I go. Yeah, I can't see my hand. I'm going to die today. <laughs> <laughs> and it was because of Jaws. Still because of Jaws. Wasn't because of Raiders of the Lost Shark? No. no. Fuck yeah, like, it might have been because of Sharkenstein. Because in Sharkenstein, you're not even safe on the beach. Oh, 
or sitting in your living room watching it because <laughs> yeah but so like yeah or you'll be sitting there and you're like start thinking about it and then a piece of seaweed will brush by your foot you're like what the hell was that <laughs> oh yeah seaweed but there is one movie part of this movie that scared the crap out of me as a kid and it the one the part that really stuck to me was the jump scare in this movie and that was the the floating head coming out of the the like pipe oh, or the yeah. whatever that is the whole like hole oh yeah yeah Yep. And like, and that actually has its own little kind of cool story because as they were editing the movie, he was Spielberg was at like this like crotchety old like vintage movie editor's house. Did you know the story, Alec? Have you heard this? I've vaguely heard. I vaguely remember, but um, not fully. So like back then, you know, everyone was like, "Oh, this person was in the industry, and then their parents were in the industry, and then their parents' parents were in the industry, so on and so forth." So there's this woman that did a lot of the editing, and she had her own editing bay in her own house. And remember, this is a big equipment. Oh, yeah. So they were like, they needed something to, because they weren't showing the shark, they needed something to scare you. And the first big thing, of course, is proving that the movie isn't playing by the real rules by, of course, killing the kid. And they showed that by just a raft with teeth marks and blood on it, which was awesome. And the dog. And the dog. Rest in peace, Sparky Kins or whatever the dog's name was. The dog and a kid. That is pretty groundbreaking. In a a PG movie? It was PG. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so they needed something. So this woman had a pool in her backyard. So they went and they grabbed this like fake head and they filmed this shot in the pool. They basically poured a bunch of milk into the pool to get this shot of this like head floating out of a thing. So that whole scene was filmed long after the movie was at least completed principal filming to get really? this little shot. And it's one of like, for me, it's like one of the, the scenes that I still like when I started, I'm like, Oh, this is the one with the, the head thing. Ugh. And see, and see for me, that scene developed way too slow to be a jump scare. Oh, I don't know. That still scares the shit out of me when I watch it. Like, like it's not like the head just like pops into view. I mean, the head literally just kind of slow drifts into your view. And then it's like, Oh, I'm ahead. And then yeah, I was like back. seven when I saw that the first time. Well, Greg's concept of time was the the severed head. Greg's concept of time was skewed. Yes. I was seven when I first saw that in 2011. (laughs) Jumps and everybody was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a bitch. Yeah. (laughs) And then, uh, so that, like, I, I think that helped push the movie along. Um, and of course, the, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. The pacing of the final attack was was really in, different and interesting because it, it was. I don't know. It, there's, I'm trying to find a way to work to phrase this. Like it's very it's long. It's a very long portion of the movie as this as the boat is sinking and as they're used, doing the barrel trick with the shark and like right. the building the building to it and. But no, no, you're right. It, it does have great pacing in in that it's not just go, 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 go. Once the shark shows up, I mean, they the shark shows up and they see it. They finally realize what they're up against. They realize how big it is, and they shoot it with the barrel, and then the barrels disappear for like a whole friggin' day. Yeah, and then they have a night. To, they're out there by themselves, um, and there's that time in between. You're right. It's not right, and it, it's and not, it you see down. the monster. And then there's the there's the conflict, you know. It's you see the monster. If this time to stew on it, he's probably out there stalking you. You know he's out there. 
So what are you going to do? And then they show the audience the barrels. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. While they're drinking. Mm -hmm. God, what a perfect film. But also, like, (laughs) you know, you tend to feel safe. Like, oh, I'm a boat. The shark's in the water. Never the twain shall meet. Unless you do something stupid. No. Yeah. And then. Not anymore. Yeah. (laughs) That, That boat, I think, did sink in real life. That's what that was one of the things that broke because when they were they were they put um uh not a cleat but like an o-ring kind of screw thing in the side of the boat to like shake it around with a, with a rope and it actually pulled the boards apart causing it to like start flooding and the sound crew was on there with their like $10,000 pieces of equipment and they're like trying to and dude dude like, dude <laughs> yeah they're like get the all the the director and stuff like get the sound equipment off get the sound equipment off and the the sound crew is like get the sound crew off <laughs> like <laughs> They needed a bigger boat. Yeah, they totally needed a bigger they boat. Did. Such a great line. I actually missed. I went to get more water last night. I missed when I was watching it or two nights ago, and I missed that line. I had to go back and rewind it. Well, great. <laughs> You're going to need a bigger cup. I, I did. I did get so a bigger cup. So you don't cup. have to keep going back. You're drinking out of a mason jar. <laughs> yeah, I'm Southern. No, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> not at all. I just like I just like mason jars. It's actually not even a mason jar. It's a, it's an old spaghetti uh, sauce thing. That's I'm, disgusting. I cleaned it a million times. Anyway, boat facing shark smashes into it, and then you realize, oh crap, they're not safe on the boat. Yeah, you finally get your first look at the shark, and I think that it holds up today. It really, I think it really does. It really does. Mm-hmm. And that's not just because of what else we had to watch. Well, the attack of the clip art but, sharks. But the other thing is, is they really do a great job of showing how just how powerful the shark is, especially with that scene where he starts pulling the boat backwards. Like he's not only just pulling the barrels. Now he's pulling the whole frigging boat. And it's like, oh, my God, what is what is this? <laughs> and Quint's like, we got to just cut it loose, cut it loose. Mm-hmm. Or like, yeah, well, the uh, oh, never mind. The uh, well, when they're talking about like he won't be able to pull the boat, the barrels under the boat, it's like, oh crap, and then the barrels go under the boat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and then when, of course, the shark, like when the shark makes it up onto the boat, and then you have your um, your big uh, the death, the big death. Alec, I think you need uh, to take on the take on the death scene. Were, were you surprised the, when you first, first like, when you first saw it? Of course, yes. I mean, I don't think I'd ever seen a death scene like that. Uh, because you, when you watch the movie, especially if you don't know the actors, you don't necessarily know who's going to make it, who's not going to make it. Um, and seeing him, the shark, you know, get on the boat and then seeing Robert uh, Quint, you know, s- slowly slip and you know it's coming. And then it's even worse than you could have imagined. And yep. you hear the, and this, and the really crazy thing in this is he dies exactly how he described. You know his fellow soldiers that died on that uh, when they, when the ship got the attacked. Indianapolis. Yeah, yes, I mean he, you know, the high pitched screaming, the sharks' eyes, all the different things, and mm-hmm. like bloody. Yes, it's oh. extremely. Is and descri- I, I don't know. I've, I've reenacted that in the pool many times to, to bother people. <laughs> uh, you know. Jesus, what? <laughs> when I play with my kids, sometimes I'll. I'll do that as well. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Well okay. Have they seen the movie yet? <laughs> no, I, I, my my son wants to, but he's he's seven. I don't think he's ready for it just yet. You don't maybe, want to traumatize him. Maybe next year. No. Yeah. Uh, but do you go to the beach I, often? No, 
You know, see, actually, I, I think of like, any, when I swim sometimes, I'll, I'll picture the shark in the damn pool. I'm, 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 I'm traumatized by it, but, um, that death scene is my favorite death scene in any movie. I think it's, I don't think there's a better death scene out there. Shots fired. Hmm. I don't even know what my favorite death scene would be. Hmm. Eh, not time. So, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the end of this, I, I love the kind of final, uh, stand at this point richard dreyfus is basically going taking hiding fiction. like a little bitch yeah i was trying to think yeah. of a good way to put that like he's he's decided to just go take photos of a reef was, somewhere <laughs> in the book he dies uh and i think even in the initial script he was supposed to die so i think that's part of the reason why they don't really they kind of don't know what to do with him but they, they decide not to kill him off this is but, one of the i'm sorry go ahead no no the, I was just going to say it, that thing Greg talked about earlier where I haven't seen this in such a long time and it's a shame, but also not, I guess, because it was so fresh that there were a couple of times in this movie where, especially with Richard Dreyfuss's character, when they went out on the boat with that liquid courage and they're going to go track down this, what they didn't know at the time was a three ton great white shark. Um, I was almost certain that he died when he went under. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh my goodness, he's still alive. I too, Rob and I get that liquid courage and we go out and we hunt for G.I. Joe characters at Target and Walmart. We do that. Very brave. Yeah, we are. We are. We do it for the people. <laughs> for ourselves. Oh, the people. Yeah. But then, like, there's that that scene where he's climbing up the mast of the ship or the whatever that is, the fishing thing. Uh, and like the, the shark has taken some, some, a little bit of damage. There's been, it's been shot a couple times and stabbed. And it of course has a uh, compressed air, which they've, they very much push. They, they mention it a lot. Like don't drop those. They'll explode. They're under mm-hmm. pressure. They explode. And then it's gone. Yeah. And then of if course, you pierce this, it will explode. Yep. <laughs> If this is in a shark's mouth and someone shoots it, it might explode. Hint, hint. Uh, and then, of course, it ends up in a shark's mouth, and he he's taken shots at it. Which is funny because, like, if you, throughout the movie, he's, he's taken sh- a couple shots at the shark and missed wildly. And thankfully, yeah, and, that- and the sh- and the shark is like not even ten feet away. Mm-hmm. Like right, you can see it splash behind the shark and stuff. But this time, you know, as the shark is about to leap out of the water and grab him off of the mast here, they, they shoot it and it blows up and it's like, yes. And it's such a, a nice fine. It's like a good final thing. Like, boom, it's really hard to like hate a shark. Cause the shark is just doing what a shark does. It's being a shark. So it's, you have to be really, you have to definitely handle that. Cause it's not like the shark. You know, it's not like there's a revenge situation really yet. Eventually no, there's until four. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> this time it's personal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it also has the best, one of the best uh, closing like kill lines. You know, when he says, "Smile, you son of a bitch." Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the. Oh yeah. Jimmy's going to say that when he challenges the wrestler to a uh, uh, whatever sort of match. <laughs> one of the other ones was, "I want my father back, you son of a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> Sigh. So. 
let this movie when it hit the theaters freaked people out. People were throwing up. People were, you know, <laughs> having heart attacks. Having heart attacks. There was all sorts of craziness. Uh, I am. I was fascinated by the marketing of this movie, so I did a little bit of research on that. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, back then there were two different types of movie releases they would do. They would do the exploitation films, which were actually, despite what you would think, they were released everywhere. Because those movies, if they sucked and you know, people started talking about it in the newspapers that they sucked, people would just stop going. And there weren't these giant megaplexes and stuff like that. So they would mm-hmm. release it everywhere. They would be in the theaters for one or two weeks. They would make their money and then they would go away. The bigger movies would do a, um, a different type of release. I'm trying to find this in my notes here. Um, they would do a a uh, a slower release where they would open up in big cities. And you've probably seen that before, like you know, uh, in Los Angeles and New York, and then it would spread. Uh, and then they would use word of mouth. Yeah, eventually they'll come to your town exactly. a year later. Yeah. So this was um, the highest grossing film of its time, and it broke attendance records. Uh, it was the first major film ever released on all screens at the same time. Uh, depending on where you look, it's either 440 theaters or 409 theaters. Um, I found it. I found two different numbers. Um, and because of that, it was the first one that ever had a nationwide marketing campaign. So that was newspapers, TV, everything. It They spent um, $1.8 million marketing jobs, which is a huge number in the 70s. And uh, they also had merchandising because it wasn't like, oh, well, this shark movie might be good. Let's make some towels and sell them in New Jersey. It was, let's make some towels and stuffed animals and T-shirts and all that and sell them everywhere. Uh, it completely owned the summer. And without this movie, there might not have been the idea of the summer movie season. I'm sure they would have eventually gotten to it, but it led to the big summer movie season being a thing. Hmm. Um, $7 million opening weekend, $20 million first uh, 10 days, which is huge. And it was the first $100 million movie, like I said. Uh, they actually did, I mentioned the marketing, $700,000 on national TV, which uh, had two dozen 30 second advertisements and it had those, those awesome advertisements with the, like the voiceover with the gravelly voice guy saying, you do not know what's beneath the water, that kind of stuff. I love that stuff. Um, $1.8 million in 1975 money. Is uh, roughly five million today, which actually isn't a lot for marketing now. Not even now, five million. Yeah, yeah. even but, five million isn't necessarily a lot for a production for that part of the production. But back but, then, yeah, that was on. But remember, back then only three TV channels too, so that was yeah. basically Everywhere. a commercial every single yeah TV show. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's got a progressive release. The where they would open in one city and then move it out. Um, so, yeah, and it, I mean, it really led to stuff, you know, a few years later, Star Wars, and it was like people wanted to be that person that got to see the movie first. Yeah. You know, I stayed mm-hmm. up all night, and mm-hmm. it, and it's now it's like, what is going to be the movie of the summer? And it still happens all the time until this year, obviously. I can't... Uh, the, uh, as, I cannot wait to, um, to catch one of those... Uh, those jaws viewings on a lake i know there's a Uh, there's a water sports complex here um there is uh it got i I catch one of those can you imagine 
Just it's for me, I still and I, I'm reading the uh, Southern Book Club's guide to vampire slang. I can't wait to talk about that with you guys. But there, there are even parts and I, I sleep hot. You know, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. But I will often when I lay down, I'm reading. I have my leg outside of the bed. And during, you know, a scary part, I'll kind of tuck my leg back in still and I'll still do that. But can you imagine being on the water with your feet kind of sticking out over the tube? Oh, God. And you just kind of try and pull your legs up. Just kind of pull it back up. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're in a ball. Uncomfortable, just on that tube. like falling over and shit. God. Ugh. A very mm-hmm. few movies still do that to me. Um, and then you freak out and fall into the water and then panic. I'm going to do it on like a, like a tube raft with just your legs hanging down there. Yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe enjoy the skinny dipping, skinny dipping scene by skinny dipping. No, this movie, no. movie made me start pricing out the inflatable screens for the backyard. I'm totally going to, I think for Halloween, I think for Halloween, I'm going to do it. Uh, so real quick, um, I decided, you know, it's very hard to do podcasts about really good movies because the movies such as this, I mean, there is I literally, what is it like a seven part doc, uh, podcast documentary about jaws that I just found this evening. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but it seems really good. So everyone has talked about these movies for a while. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm always worried about doing good movies because like, if it's a bad movie at some point, either Jimmy or Rob are going to freak out and be angry. And that's good radio, but good movies. There's like people, there's people that have done college courses on this movie. Yeah. So I wanted to take it a little bit further, and I found out that someone else watches Jaws every single year, and that is Mr. Joe Hill. He's not joining us, well, the way uh, I announced that. And I hear he is now. Shit. Uh, so, uh, do you, no Jimmy offense, Joe Hill's. <laughs> Joe <laughs> Hill is <laughs> Stephen King's son. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Wow. And Joe Hill has a theory about this movie. He's, he's watched this movie every year since he was nine, every summer. And he has a theory about this movie about a murder scene or a murder. Oh, yeah. And this is actually really cool or interesting. I don't know how true it is, but um, in 1974, July 26th, they found a a woman dead. She's called the Lady of the Dunes. Um, she was found face down on a beach blanket. She had red hair, Rob. Oh, yeah. Um, what a crime. Which is about all they know about her because most because uh a lot of her teeth had been pulled out. She was missing her hands and other bits. There was a lot of not so good things that happened to her. So I'll just stop there. Uh, she, there was no stri- sign of a struggle, but she, they most likely think that she was bludgeoned to death amongst other things. Uh, all they know about her, she had red hair. It was pulled back into a ponytail uh, with a gold flecked elastic band. Her And her toenails were painted pink. However, in one of the scenes of the movie, uh, about 54 minutes in, there's a woman that looks almost exactly like the com- the police composite drawing of this woman. So they're wondering if this woman happened to have been an extra in the movie because one, it's a very uh, Martha's Vineyard or where they and around where they filmed it is very small. So everyone knew everybody. No one came forward and said, "Oh, my sister, daughter, friend, whatever disappeared." And so I don't know if maybe she came in to film the movie, but unstayed or whatever who knows but they think that she might have been in this in this shot um they've never figured out they've never solved this case um so i thought that was very fascinating kind of added a little bit of a dark uh, thing to the movie the this is the scene when there's like a little kid on his dad's back 
And I think they're walking out of like one of those big like boat storage things. And there's there's a woman on the left side with a bandana around her head. Yep. And they, they think that's her. So or they might be her. Wow. And the other little thing I wanted to to mention here, of course, we mentioned the sharks thing. Uh, the odds of being bitten by a shark are three million seven hundred forty eight thousand sixty seven to one. Now I'm, th- I'm wondering if those are the odds of being bitten by a shark if you're like never in the ocean, because like those odds are getting very skewed based on how few people are actually in the ocean. But well, and and like with anything, there are things that you can do that will increase your odds of being attacked by a shark, such as like swimming at night, rub yourself with raw um, meat before you go. Yeah, rubbing yourself with raw meat before you going in the before you go in the water. Being from Florida um, and being like, this shark ain't gonna bite me, fucker, and jumping yeah, on well, said shark. Sw- yeah. Swimming, swimming in areas that are known to have higher concentrations of sharks. So swimming in Florida. I mean, I think I think your chances are actually higher of of suffering a shark attack in Florida than in other coastal states in the country. Probably, like yeah. Kansas. Unless um, you're in a lake in Canada or, you know. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Our other, or another <laughs> lake. Or a yeah, cove. Yeah, when I go swimming uh, in the ocean, I like to dress up like a seal. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Well, like and that's, the, that's, one that of the, that's one of the things that they say about Yeah, they look like seals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they look like seals yeah. from underneath, which is where the sharks see them from. That's why boogie boarders and surfers get get hit mm-hmm. because the the sharks think they're seals. Yeah. It doesn't uh, from, help that the like rallying cry of um, boogie boarder or body boarders everywhere is oh oh oh. <laughs> so they're they're really not help doing themselves any favors. No, no, no not at all. Yeah. But I do think that your odds of being struck by lightning are actually better than being attacked by a shark. Yeah. Uh, from 1990 to 2006, there were 11 deaths due to sharks. Mm. Uh, f- 15 deaths due to people falling into holes that have been dug on the beach. Oh, jeez. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Probably more accidental uh, deaths uh, playing Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, than there have been deaths. And it was like, attack. there's, uh, I believe it's like a hundred and thousand, it's a hundred thousand to six every year when it comes to sharks, people killing sharks, a hundred thousand sharks get killed every year. And then six people get die every year about like, I think that's what the number was. So, um, the reason I'm telling you this is don't kill sharks, people. Don't do it. Leave the sharks alone. Cause, you know, the more sharks there are, the less boogie borders there are. And I think that's a good thing. Man, I was caught a boogie one on Monday. Like I said, the more sharks there are. Come on. The Beat your ass. <laughs> with a boogie board. Yeah, I'm going to whack you with it when I'm done with Crackajacko Doyle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Don't oh, get me boy. hot right now. So all of the... This isn't necessarily on the notes, but I do want to talk about it. Why have all of the sequels sucked? Or do you think all of the sequels suck? First of all, I'm not going to put that in your head. I don't think they all sucked. The second one wasn't horrible. Mm -hmm. I think after that, it's pretty shitty. Well, I'm not going to lie. As a kid, I actually enjoyed Jaws 3D. Yeah. I liked the sequels, man. I I was still young. Still freaked me out. Um, I think think the, the tunnel thing came from the collapsing... Yeah. Tunnel in the sequel, Josh 3D, I think, yeah. right? 3D, yeah. yeah. Where he goes to the, yeah, that. I was like, oh shit! I still, I still got yeah. the heebie-jeebies. I went to the aquarium in Myrtle Beach. The, um, they have one of those kind of pass-through like people movers. 
that it's all around you. I'm like, man, if a shark gets pissed off and decides to just break it, like crack it a little bit, and keeps pounding on it, that freaks me out. A little water comes in. So how did how did you do with that scene in the Meg? Yeah, dude, that that was just a a Jaws throwback. I mean that. Yeah, with the little girl and the uh, man in the Uh -uh. last tunnel. Nah, I avoid those situations. Man, I went to. He's like, I don't want to see the water. (laughs) (laughs) I went to that shark restaurant in in SeaWorld, the one with the big glass wall. Yeah, and you can see sharks and stuff. It's really cool, and there's like one of those tubes you go through and all that, but. At a certain point, one of the sharks decided to eat one of the nice fish in there. It was not supposed to eat one of the fish, but I think the fish got injured somehow because it had like that kind of like white when a fish gets cut, cut like the white streaming mm-hmm. stuff coming out of their side. And the shark decided to um, it was the sh- the one with the the sawtooth nose, like or it was like a slight sawtooth. Either way, it bit the sh- it bit the fish in half in front of my three year old at the time. Oh, wow! So that was a, gotta that was learn sometime. Yeah, right. Turn all the potatoes, baby. Sugar peaches. The kid was the kid was traumatized as my wife was eating a plate of fish, which I thought was kind of funny in its in its own right. But <laughs> I actually saw Jaws 3D in in the movie theater as well with my my grandmother. I convinced her to take me to that when with the old fashioned red and blue glasses. Yep, I did in, in the Indiana Pennsylvania Mall movie did theater. You, there, did you like it? I was terrified when the shark came through the glass, but yes. I did eventually watch it again, being like, man, this is one of the scariest movies I ever saw. And then I was like, what was I thinking? What's funny is we all had the same memory. And I can remember being at a sleepover at my friend's house. It was like eight or nine and their family was watching that movie. And that scene happened and scared the shit out of me. And I had to go home. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, Jaws man. has always had a bad effect on me. Cause that, yeah. so that, that, but so technically Jaws 3D was the first Jaws movie I saw. I just don't think it's good now. Yeah. Uh, the second one, if you've watched it, it still has Roy Scheider, still has the mayor. Uh, it's got a lot of the, it, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a horror movie as opposed to like a adventure slash thriller slash intelligent, intelligently written. Now it's all about how many kills can the shark get and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. it's, how many, te- how many teenagers can they kill? <laughs> no, it's a drinking game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The fourth one is pretty funny though. Yeah, I I watched it with Jimmy and he proposed a drinking game as as the thing was going on. Every I did time not a character says to you, sir. Yes, you did. Shut up. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. Every Thanks. every time we're uh, so excited. We're we gonna get married are. underwater in an aquarium. It's gonna be wonderful. I get to dress um, like a shark. Every time somebody says that's not funny, he says you take a shot. In the fourth one. <laughs> No, in the first one, in this oh, one, because oh, like yeah. in the first 10 minutes, like, uh, like six of the characters, that's not funny. I don't think that's funny. Oh, that's, that's not true. funny. That's <laughs> not, like, Jesus, what? You'd be dead. <laughs> mm. Okay. I actually would like to, at some point, cover the rest of the Jaws movies, but I'm a little sharked out at the moment. So my, maybe next summer we'll, we'll invite Alec back and we'll do some more shark movies. I bought the rest of them just in case, because I thought that might happen. Because they they had them at Walmart. They had Jaws one by itself, and then they had Jaws two, three, f- and four all as, on a uh, as they all should. On a DVD. I yeah. assure you that we're DVD, going DVD. To, we're going to have Alec back before next summer to do some to do some shark talk. Fun, anything, man. Whatever. Celebrating Shark Week, which is this week. Got to watch. Yes, it is. Got to watch Mike Tyson swim with sharks on Shark Week. That's a thing. Okay, so let's. Uh, uh, let's go ahead and, uh, finish up here, I guess. 
Uh, Did we do the the question, the thing we loved about it and the thing we hated? Yeah, so um, this one's a tough one because the thing we loved about Mm. this and the thing we hated, like if we wanted to boil it down. Let me tell you the the scariest scene in this movie uh, for me, and it wasn't the first time. Well, you know, it is actually the, I think the first time you saw a part of the shark is where a little Billy Kintner is uh, out there on his raft. And um, it's just before the, the, the kind of comical, like gore, blood shooting out of the mm-hmm. water. But the blood fountain. The way he is taken under. Oh, yeah. And you see, I, I think just how massive the shark is. You, he, you see a fin, maybe like a, like a, a, a dorsal. I don't know. I think it was pectoral. It you saw a pectoral like it was death or something. Yeah. And I was just like, watching it today i was like oh fuck that got me probably more than than anything and and not that it was intentional i mean just the pacing of this film the uh implication that there was something out there without even like really seeing it Mm -hmm. full for such a long time this is it's such a perfect film um Mm -hmm. Anything I no, there's nothing I hated about the film. No, I I I would be hard pressed to find something that I hated hated about the film as well. Anything about the film? Um, Yeah, you don't have you don't have to. Yeah, I think for my love, it's I love when a when an expert at anything is chugging along with something. So, like if you think about the best song by any musician. And you kind of hear it and you're like, I feel like this song has been around forever because it's perfect across the board. And I feel that way with this movie in some ways where anytime there was any problem in the making of this movie, they figured out a way around it and it made it better. Yeah. Anytime. So it's like, and anytime, you know, just as you're watching the movie, it does seem like it's been around forever. Now for our lives, it has been, but that's just one of the things when something when someone at the top of their game is chugging along and making difficult things seem easy even though it wasn't we we all know that uh that's what i that's one of the things i really love about this movie and i'm glad i'm glad that i own it now because i'll be able to watch it more frequently the the way that they dealt with adversity really improved the quality of the movie as opposed to you know they 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 had an excuse to have it just kind of go to shit and and they didn't let it Mm -hmm. and we ended up with a much better product as a result yeah so true. Now, I will say one of the things I noticed this time through for like the very first time was um, when when Michael was taken to the hospital, the <laughs> the the boy, and they yeah. they opened up the they opened up the door and the nurse comes out and she's like, oh, he'll be fine. He'll he'll just have to stay the night. The doctor wants to observe him, blah, 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 blah. And they've got the orderly behind him pushing the stretcher. And he's just so intense. He's just staring straight ahead. Staring. And I'm like, what is this guy's deal? Mm-hmm. And right as he got to the end, I'm like, oh, that's what it was. Because I can, as he gets to the end, he kind of glances to his right and he friggin' looks dead at the camera. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, oh my God. So he's pushing the, the, the stretcher down the hallway the whole time. And you know, and I can see it in his head going, don't look at the camera. Don't look at the camera. Don't look at the camera. Don't look. Fuck. I looked at the camera. I gotta watch. I have to watch that part again. It, too. I, I saw it after Rob. Uh, mentioned it today. I was like, 
No, he's not. No, he's not. Oh, yeah, he did. Yep. There he is. Right okay, there. Yep. yep. Damn. <laughs> watch it. If I could say one more, yeah. one more thing about it, it's it's mainly that the reason why I watch it every year is number one, I never get tired of watching it. It still scares mm-hmm. me. I watch it with my wife almost every time. She she still jumps at the jump scare. She still screams almost every time. Nice. But but the the best part about it is just there's the little touches. Um, like. This, the, when, this, when the chief is in his uh, home and he's got two phones and he answers the wrong one first and he goes for the for the sheriff phone line. Yeah. Or the interaction with his kids, that scene at the dinner table where him and his son are are kind of playing that little game with they're making the funny faces at each other. It, it you really care about his his arc uh, specifically, but they give every character you know every main character an arc. Something you know we know why why Richard Dreyfuss' character, you know, is into sharks and why he, why he wants to be a part of this. We know why Quint, uh, you know, why he's the way oh, he yeah. is. And that's why, mm-hmm. and you feel awful when he dies, even though you kind of hate him because he's sabotaging <laughs> certain parts of what they're trying to do. It's, it's, it's just the uh, more movies should be made where the characters are given development and it can still be entertaining. You don't have to sacrifice story to, to create, you know, and terror. And how great was Robert Shaw at the end of the movie as he's as he's kind of portraying Quint's like descent into madness as he realizes, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is not going well. I don't know that we're going to. And he's like revving that engine and he's like mm-hmm. getting kind of like manic and he's like, we're going to. Yeah. Redlining. Yeah, and you, and you you know that he kind of feels like the end is coming, and it's like, oh man, he it, yeah. it, he was just fantastic he's, in that he's role. He's racing towards a, a a fate that he escaped. Like, yeah, it's like mm-hmm. his his fate very tragic. Yeah, his fate caught up with him. Uh, he mm-hmm. he was he was like, well, it, this is how it's supposed to go in a way. Um, and and speaking to what Alex said, man, it. This is a two-hour movie, and you had all those characters that you cared about, and they it it didn't take long. I mean, it's it's masterful storytelling, yeah. Um, to uh, to build it, you didn't have to have an hour of a reason to like Brody or you know Quint. It it didn't need it. It's just so wonderfully done. I I did want to. I forgot this earlier when you were talking about Williams, um, and the sound and the theme. And that uh, I killed him. You son of a bitch. I was trying to. I was trying to wipe that Shaking clean. My, uh, yeah, my alerts on my phone. So when Spielberg had heard his work before and like wanted big themes and all that stuff, and I think they used one of his themes when they were doing like editing and things like that before they kind of commissioned him to do it. And when he brought the actual theme that became the Jaws theme, they played it, and Spielberg thought it was a joke. It was so pared down. He played it again. Spielberg was laughing. He played it again and again and again. Like Spielberg's kind of laughing at him. And until, and then they kind of stopped after Spielberg stopped laughing. And he's like, what? And Williams is like, the shark is this primal force of nature. It has, it has one thing on its mind. It's just go forward and kill. And that's what he thought of when he wrote that song. And like that song is such just a straight driven, no, no frills, you know, big teeth chomp down Mm -hmm. type song. It fits so perfectly. Mm -hmm. It does. And it just, I thought that was a really interesting story. That, and, I, that and I'm actually glad that Spielberg finally realized it, or at least let Williams put it in. Cause, yeah. <laughs> cause it's perfect. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. There, there might've been another song in there that was as iconic, but 
come on, when you sneak up on somebody in a pool, you go, even if you're doing it in your head. My kid does it, and I don't even know how he knows it. That's that's the thing. It's one of the strangest things. It's lasted through generations, even Mm -hmm. as, you know, most movies. Long afterward, he probably knows it. He probably knows it from Baby Shark now that I think of it, but... Hey, that, that's still that's still a way that it gets affected. That's there. true. Yep. So we are done with Jaws, correct? Well, we're not officially done with Jaws forever. Uh, Rob is doing things with his fingers. That's never a good thing. Baby shark, do 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 do. We're gonna get sued. Do 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 do. Why? We we made it this long. Yeah. I mean, it's the very end of the episode, and then yeah, you had to. Oh well. Yes, you're already Rob. You're already on our list. Oh, so, my God. So speaking of lists, <laughs> there's, uh, this is a special episode, as I mentioned, because of our patrons and our patrons, specifically Alec. Thank you very much for being a patron for this fun little show that we do. Uh, yes, we, we appreciate you. We like to thank, thank all of our patrons out there. If you want to help us out, if you are out there listening, I know you're out there. I see the numbers. And apparently shots were shots were fired out there. Uh, it was it was Austria. That was that we were highly ranked in. Now I believe it's it was Austria. Belgium. Now it's Belgium. We have a significant amount of listens in Belgium. We are we're, uh, that's actually the sec- the second most popular country for some reason on our numbers. I don't know how they figured that out, or if maybe there's just a server there or something. But if I don't you know. But if, living- if uh, Praga Khan, uh, Godfather of. Uh, Electronic music, um, brains behind the Mortal Kombat song as the immortals. Uh, my Belgian friend, if you were listening, I would love to talk to you. It's true. Reach out, talk to us. Yes. But anyway, we know you guys are out there. You, for $5, you can get invited to our Discord chat, which is insane. Right now, there's there's actually a lot going on there. We discuss movies. We discuss new things that are coming out, video games. There's a new section, uh, Rob and Greg and now Jimmy's Toy Kingdom, where we post pictures of random cool 80s toys that we find and stuff. So it's becoming it's a problem. Fun. It's becoming it, it a is. problem. I'm the stopping in every freaking Walmart and Target now looking for G.I. Yeah. Joe's. I asked a girl who was half my age the other day. <laughs> Uh, uh, Joe's. Um, I, I noticed that you don't have any GI Joes on the shelf. Can you? Uh, can you? Do you have any in those boxes on the cart that you have? She's, she's like, let me let me get my manager. And you're like, no, no, you don't need to get manager. She's like, no, I think I really do. Them and she goes, this is street dated for August eighth. I said, <laughs> wait. I said it's August tenth. It um, where are the fucking GI Joes? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I got kicked I out. Really I'm not allowed to turn it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back, back to our, our Patreon here. There's a five dollar uh, range. There is a a fifty dollar range, and you get a bunch of cool things. Check it out. It is at patreon.com. Give me five podcast. You get into our Discord chat. You get the top five list about you. You get to early access to a movie reviewing, so you can actually watch it beforehand. You get to know our top five list, and you get to help write a top five list. So. Mm-hmm. Feel free to do that. And at the higher levels, of course, you get to curate an entire episode and will likely get invited on for more episodes if that movie happens to have sequels that are not as good as the original. Hint, hint. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what I got. 
And there's a strong possibility that I will torture the other hosts with really, really shitty movies. Yeah. Well, here we are. The name of the podcast is the Gamey Five Podcast. You got to write the question this week, Alex. So ask us the question. All right, gentlemen. What are your top five movie monologues? Mm. Uh, so this is based on the monologue about the Indianapolis. Correct. correct. Oh, man. There are so many. There are so many. Yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and go first. Uh, man, there's uh, this is difficult. But I'm going to actually switch mine up a little bit. So honorable mention is going to be the rehabilitation monologue mm-hmm. uh, that is read in Shawshank Redemption. I just bumped that to an honorable mention. Um, but when asked when he feels if he has been rehabilitated, he gives this beautiful and an eloquent response that ultimately puts him back in jail. Um, but anyway, uh, my number five is going to be the opening of the film Bronson. That monologue is delivered by Tom Hardy as the UK's most notorious criminal, Charles Bronson. A whole story behind that I could get into, but I won't. Number four is going to be the nemesis monologue, and that is delivered by Bricktop in the movie Snatch. Do you know what nemesis is? Uh, Absolutely fantastic. Number three is going to be Hark! By Thomas Wick in the lighthouse. Number two is going to be Robert Shaw as Quint in the film we talked about extensively. Jaws. My number one monologue is delivered by Edward Furlong. That is the hate is baggage monologue in American History X. Because life's too short to be pissed off all the time. That's a good one. Thank you. That's my list. Very good. Thank you. This was this was a, going down a lot of memory lanes. Uh, yeah. Finding these. So this was a this is a wonderful question. Yeah, I, I spent hours so doing I, this yeah. one. and rearranging it and, and just doing it mm-hmm. again now. Like, yeah, fantastic. Alec, do you want to go next? I guess it's my turn. Okay. All right, so I have a couple of honorable mentions because awesome. this was too hard yeah. to not have that. Yep. Um, my honorable mention, uh, Denzel Washington's uh, King Kong monologue mm-hmm. in Training Day. Because yep. I fucking love him and I love that movie. Um, I can't believe this didn't make my top five, but Christopher Walken's monologue in Pulp Fiction about the watch. Okay. And then um, here's my top five. Number five, uh, it's actually a tie, uh, so I'm cheating. Um Robin Williams in Good Will Hunting. There's a scene at the uh, the park bench. Yes. It's such a, I I love that. It's my favorite. I think it's my favorite Robin Williams scene in his career. And then uh, I tie that with, because I I had to do this one as well Henry Fonda in Grapes of Wrath. It's a really old man uh, Mm -hmm. choice, but uh, it's a great quote. It also inspired a a great Springsteen song, and I'm a huge Bruce fan, so there you go. Number four is Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Mm-hmm. Coffee is for closers. Uh, number three 
Jack Nicholson and a few good men, uh, mm-hmm. that his, his monologue, uh, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth and how that, what that leads into is, is really damn good. Uh, number two is uh, Samuel Jackson in Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. uh, the Ezekiel speech. And actually the crazy thing is I think I actually like the, um, the second time he has this, he, he recites it at the, uh, at the diner. Um, that monologue is a little deeper. And then obviously first, is Jaws Quint? Oh, nice, so good, fantastic list, sir. Very nice, thank you. I have got a list here from a listener. Hey, oh, Mr. Jubles, Ooh. Mr. Jubles. Which, speaking of for you out there, other listeners, you get to learn some things about Jubles in that chat room. Uh, even more so than the stuff that we talked about on our top five list a couple weeks ago. Uh, his honorable mention is Ferris Bueller and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I guess one of his, uh, I guess mm-hmm. what the opening maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He didn't say which one, but uh, top five is Aragon's battle speech in Return of the King. That's number yep. five. That's number five. Number two, Joker's talking about it, how he got his scars in the Dark Knight. Wow. Nice, excellent. excellent. Yeah. Uh, number three, uh, Jules Winfield from Pulp yes. Fiction doing the Ezekiel yep. twenty five seventeen speech. Uh, number two, President Whitmore's speech in Independence Day. All right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the V's intro in V for Vendetta. Wonderful. Which I forgot, which I actually kind of forgot about, but I was reminded from this list, but I couldn't yeah. then change my list because yeah. that would be cheating. <laughs> Dude, I could have had 50 honorable mentions. Like, Yeah. Yeah, there yeah. were so many. Someone in the chat room did, of course, ask if we were going to play all these speeches. I was like, there's no possible way. Oh, no, man. Yes, dude. One, we get to two, yep. Jimmy would be editing for like a month. Yeah. So that's not happening. Uh, I guess I will go. Uh, some of some okay. of the uh, stuff got, got bumped around, but the first one that came to mind was um, Milton's speech in Devil's Advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, that's such a good uh, movie. Yeah, that one, that movie's actually filmed in Gainesville when I was in college there, so it was kind of a big deal up there. I have and that, that speech. Nice. So that that whole speech about um, you know his favorite sins and all that stuff that would be my number five. Uh, the Denzel Washington battlefield speech from Remember the Titans when he takes them on the night jog and they end up in the, mm. the graveyard. He's mm-hmm. talking about fighting the same battles over and over again, and maybe they'll. I, I like the speech as it end with a little bit of a wink to the camera, where where he's kind of like, yeah, and maybe after all this stuff happens, we'll learn how to play football like men. So that would be my number four. My number three, uh, the Your Move Chief Robin Williams speech. Uh, number two, you can't handle the truth. Good, uh, mm-hmm. good one. I was a ghoul hunting. That's not what I meant. A few good men. And a, I was in sales before I was in teaching. I was selling radio advertising, and I pretty much worked for the uh, Alec Baldwin character in Glengarry Glen Ross. And every time he would start talking, I'd be like, Ugh. <laughs> and then I would, you know, and salespeople are a very weird breed. I'm not one of those people. I'm weird, but in a different way where they're always like, ah, oh, I got to close, close, close. And that Glengarry Glen Ross coffee is for closers. ABC always been closing shit is gold, man. That speech is so good. So that is my number one. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I'll go ahead and do mine. I think I'm going to break the rules a little bit. So I'm going to give you uh, at least one honorable mention. And two of my honorable mentions are going to not make it. Um, one, because I don't want to talk about the the one that's already been discussed and the one that we talked about tonight. I'm just excluding Quint from the list. But 
one of my honorable mentions is going to be a play off of another very famous speech. And that's the Stanley Spadowski speech from UHF, where he talks about these floors are dirty as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. (laughs) So that's that's going to be an honorable mention. And the reason I'm putting an honorable mention is because at number five, I'm breaking the rules and I'm only putting it at number five. But it was such a good monologue and it was from a from a sitcom which is why it's breaking the rules. It wasn't in a movie, but it was from something that you wouldn't necessarily expect that kind of acting from. And that's the fresh Prince of Bel Air. When, when his dad left and he was talking to his uncle Phil and, you know, it ends up with why, why don't he want me? And, and uncle Phil gives it's, it's such a touching moment, such a touching moment. And if it doesn't bring tears to your eyes, you're not human. I mean, you see what they're doing with, with fresh Prince of Bel Air. This is an aside, but it, it's actually worthy of the show. Yeah. No, someone, someone cut a trailer that made the Fresh Prince of Bel Air into a drama. Really? Uh, um, with like mm-hmm. that kind of like sunset type look where like it was a guy that looked a lot like Will Smith, but it's not him. And they kind of do like a bunch of stuff like that. Well, the trailer was so good and like cutting it as a drama of like this guy from the streets that ends up in, in Bel Air, you know, basically the story, but it's not funny. Right. That they're actually developing it for a real TV show. And it actually looks good. At least that fake trailer looked okay. good. I saw it like, yeah, I, I saw it the other day. Well, in between looking at the chat room and possibly using the, the bathroom. Possibly. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. But like I said, it was, it was such a masterful piece of acting by Will Smith. And it's not something that you would normally see on the show. So I had to include it here. That's the highlight for sure. Uh, my number four is going to be one that I don't, that hasn't been mentioned yet. And that's going to be the battlefield speech in Braveheart. Hmm. Very nearly made my list. Got bumped. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 Braveheart is is one of my favorite movies. I love Braveheart. It's one of those movies that when I scroll past it, I end up watching it. Like if if I'm flipping past channels and I land on it, I'm like, oh god, now I have to watch it. I'm sucked in. So Braveheart's at number four. At number three, another one that hasn't been mentioned yet, but this one really hit home when I, or not hit home, but it really, really caught my attention when I, when I watched it. And that's the closing argument from a time to kill with Matthew McConaughey, where he talks about the little girl and everything. Mm -hmm. And and then at the end says, now imagine she's white and everybody's like, Oh my God. Oh, but it it was just, it, it was such a powerful, powerful speech that I had to include it in my top five. Number two, already been discussed, one of the greatest of all time, and that's the You Can't Handle the Truth monologue by Jack Nicholson. He's He has such great delivery. I mean, in in that speech, he gives, he gives you every reason why he's such a terrible person, but at the same time makes it totally logical. And and that's that's a combination of excellent writing and excellent acting. And that's why that speech is just so phenomenal. That's my number two. But my number one, and I think anybody who knows me probably knows this. I've talked about it multiple times, especially when we did the July 4th episode. And that's the Independence Day speech by Bill Pullman. I I mean, he finished that speech and I'm like, give me a damn plane. I'll go up there. Let's go. I mean, it was Rob just did. Thank you, Rob. I, I did. I went up there. I came back, though. It was all right. 
But um, it, it was it was just such a moving speech, and it it has stuck with me. And anytime I think of amazing speeches, that is the first one that comes to my mind. So I had to put it at number one. I knew that one. I totally knew he was going to do that one. Mm-hmm. I knew that one so much that I was going to like tell him about that, and then I realized I don't even need to tell him about that because I just knew. So I think that was all. I was just checking the chat room to see if anything else showed up. Nothing did. So, uh, Jimmy, take us out. Yes, sir. That'll do it uh, for side B this week. Uh, You can get in touch with us by emailing us directly at give me five podcast at gmail dot com. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the give me five podcast. If you don't know that it's spelled out F.I.V.E. by now, then you'll never know. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at give me five pod. You can also check out our website, give me five podcast.com for access to previous episodes, our store. And now there is also a music section on the website. I was looking at, I was looking at that. I just did a little more tooling around with it. Uh, Greg and I will be adding some playlists that we find. Uh, We will be, Hopefully trying to do some linking to some audible accounts as well on there um, to see what everybody's reading, what everybody's up to. So you can see uh, if we're not talking about it, you can uh, kind of kind of listen to it if you'd like the store directly. Give me five podcast dot threadless dot com. If you want to check that out, because the store does not work very well on mobile very aware of that there's not much i can do about it well alex thank you for ma- giving us a wonderful episode do you have any yeah man do you have any last words would you like to uh, yell at rob for a little while if, like i do no no thank you very much for allowing me to be on this uh i won't yell at rob even though he, he almost came off as a jaws truther for a couple of minutes <laughs> jaws truther <laughs> jaws truther <laughs> Oh man, that's amazing. Thank you so much for being on with us, man. Thanks for your support. And, uh, you know, we really, really had a great time doing this. I sure did. Same here. That would a Jaws truther be like it was 5G that was killing all those people on the beach in 1976, four or five, whatever. Don't even, <laughs> don't look at the camera. Don't look at the camera. Don't look at the camera. <laughs> so thank you for listening, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, and stay out of the water. That led to, I think, Jimmy, you hinted at this. Uh, you can you can take it from there. It led to one of the more famous aspects of this movie. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Would you like me to to give you a hint? Sure. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you hinted that they hid the shark for most of the movie earlier.
Like from each other? Oh my god. <laughs> I think sure it was Alec that said that. Uh, Jimmy, you do the contact stuff. Oh wait, we got it. No, not yet. Sorry, we got to do the top top five question. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> wow.